0: Brothers and sisters, this afternoon we deal with Lord's Day 19 of our Catechism. The confession that the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is sitting at the right hand of God and he will come from there to judge the living and the dead. In connection with this confession, we read together first from the first letter of Peter. We read First Peter 5 from verse 8. Actually, we'll start at verse 6. First Peter 5, verse 6. The apostle writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And now we turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 20. Revelation 20, the Apostle John writes, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer." Until the thousand years were ended, after that he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night. Forever and ever. So far, the reading of God's holy word. May the Lord bless it unto our hearts. This afternoon I preach to you the word of God as we have it summarized in Lord's Day 19 of our Catechism. On page 533, Lord's Day 19. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church, through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit. He pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all Enemies, What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake. And has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. But he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. So far our reading from the Confession of the Church. We now listen to the preaching of the gospel and afterwards we sing together in response hymn 31. Hymn 31, verse 1 and verse 2. Christ has risen, hallelujah, he is our victorious head. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in free reform circles, interest in politics seems to be increasing markedly. And we can understand this. New laws have been adopted in Australia, and even more so in Canada. New laws regarding euthanasia, gay marriage, and gender identity and in this context there has been talk about Christian families and Christian schools that they might be forced that we might be forced to teach our children attitudes on these topics that conflict with the word of God and in this world in this crazy world There are Christians who argue that for the glory of God and out of love for our unbelieving neighbours, we ought to put pressure on our governments, our politicians to do things in a better way, to do things God's way. And that appears to be one reason why some Christians are getting more involved in politics. But brothers and sisters, it is also possible that we see change happening in the world around us. It's possible that we feel threatened. You know, that we worry about our schools. We worry about the future of our children and grandchildren. And then we might say to ourselves, I can't just sit here. Instead, I have to fight to protect our rights. If that is our attitude, brothers and sisters, that is the politics of fear, the politics of unbelief. If we get involved in politics because we are concerned about what appears to be happening, if we are determined to put our energy into stopping that from happening that's not faith because we confess in Lord's Day 19 that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God and he defends and preserves us against all our enemies so what's faith what's faith faith is saying take a deep breath We're okay. We have someone fighting for us, caring for us. There is nothing to worry about, nothing to fear. Because if God is on our side, against us shall be none. I preach to you this afternoon the gospel of your salvation under the following theme. Our risen Lord Jesus Christ will always keep us safe in his care. Then we consider three points. First, the glorious fact that he has been given all authority. Secondly, the glorious promise that he uses all his authority for our benefit. And thirdly, the even more glorious promise that he will be our judge. Our risen Lord Jesus Christ will always keep us safe in His care. First, the glorious fact that He has been given all authority. Now Lord's Day 18, Lord's Day 18, which you considered last week, that was about the vertical line between God in heaven and us, His people on Earth. In Lord's Day 18, we saw how Jesus Christ fits in as the mediator between God and man. Lord's Day 19, on the other hand, is about us in this world. It describes how King Jesus cares for us. It explains how Jesus defends and preserves us against our enemies. Now when we think about this, brothers and sisters, when we think about us and the world, you may have noticed the two passages of scripture that we read together, 1 Peter 5 and Revelation 20, they seem to be poles apart. They seem to give opposite messages. Think about this. Peter, he says, Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What is Peter telling us about our lives? About our attitude towards the world? Peter compares our enemy to a dangerous lion. His message is obviously, would you feel safe walking to your car after church if there was a lion on the loose in the parking lot? Would you just walk around outside? Of course not. It wouldn't be safe. So we understand Peter is warning us against complacency. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, be on guard don't take anything for granted because we are living in a dangerous world. We get that, don't we? But Revelation 20 gives us a different impression. John tells us how an angel took a chain. We can imagine a heavy metal chain And he used that to tie up the devil. And then the angel threw the devil into a bottomless pit so that the devil could not get out for a thousand years. That's to say, our enemy, the devil, is like like our neighbor's dog. You know, when your neighbor's dog is on a chain, then you don't have to worry And so we ask ourselves, how does this fit together? Is the devil a dangerous enemy, like a roaring lion, like Peter says? Or is he tied up with a heavy chain, like we read in Revelation 20, so that we have got nothing to worry about? How dangerous is the devil really? Now to answer this question brothers and sisters we need to forget for a moment that we live in the 21st century. Instead go back with me 2,000 years to the first century when John was alive. In that time heathen cities like Rome and Corinth and Ephesus were full of heathens who were all worshipping idols. And you ask, why? Were they worshipping idols? Why? Well, because in the words of Revelation 20, because the devil was deceiving the nations. The devil was deceiving the nations. Remember when Adam and Eve were in paradise? They were deceived by the devil. And so they ate the forbidden fruit. And later... When Israel was in Egypt, the devil deceived Pharaoh so that Pharaoh did not listen to Moses and he would not let the Israelites go. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Satan deceived Herod so that Herod tried to kill Jesus. Bottom line, all the heathen nations were always worshipping idols because Satan was deceiving them. But, says John in Revelation 20, I saw an angel come down from heaven. That angel grabbed Satan by the scruff of his neck and tied him up with a chain and threw him into a bottomless bottomless pit and kept him there for a thousand years. And then... Because the devil has been locked away in that pit. A time began when Satan lost his power to deceive the nations. When King Jesus rose up from the dead. When he went up to his throne in heaven and defeated Satan. Then Satan lost his power to deceive the nations. So that King Jesus sent apostles to Ephesus and Corinth and Rome And many people believed the gospel because because Satan was bound so that he could not deceive them anymore. The Lord also sent missionaries to Europe. And millions of people in France and England and Holland believed the gospel because Satan was bound so that he could not deceive the nations anymore. And still later missionaries went to africa asia america and australia and because satan was bound and could not deceive the nations anymore millions of people believed now the gospel has been preached to the ends of the earth many people everywhere believe in jesus and confess his name and that is possible because satan was bound so that he Became powerless in the sense that he could not deceive the nations anymore. And in brackets, brothers and sisters, in brackets, regarding when Satan was bound so that it became impossible for him to deceive the nations, we might suggest Good Friday, when Jesus paid for our sins. Or Easter Sunday, when Jesus overcame the power of death. Or Ascension Day, or even Pentecost. But before we make it too complicated, we might consider World War II. And we might ask, when, on what day precisely, did the Allies win the war? Perhaps someone might say, in 1941... When Hitler was driven out of Russia. Or perhaps. When the atom bomb was dropped. In Japan. And then we might reason. First. The power of the enemy was broken. Then the enemy was driven back. And finally. He was forced to surrender. In the same way. When Jesus was on earth. When the devil tried to tempt Jesus. In the desert. Jesus Won the battle. And when Jesus died on the cross, he destroyed the power of sin. When he rose from the dead, he destroyed the power of death. And after Jesus had done all that, after he had also gone back to his throne in heaven, then Jesus told John in Revelation 20, Jesus says, I have won the war. I have destroyed my enemy and now I am sending an angel to tie up the devil like a vicious dog to stop him from deceiving the nations so that many people may believe the gospel and receive salvation. And this means, beloved congregation, two things are true at the same time. Satan is bound. Satan has been cast into the bottomless pit. That happened already 2,000 years ago. Then the 1,000 year reign of Jesus began. And ever since then, Satan has been bound. So that there is no way that Satan can prevent the gospel from spreading out over the whole world. Satan cannot stop people in China from believing the gospel. Satan does not have that power. But still, make no mistake. Satan is a prow, is a prowling lion. He's looking for people to devour, just like a vicious dog might be tied to a chain. And it might be impossible for him to get free. Still, be careful and don't come too close because otherwise he will maul you and he might even kill you. Is such a dog on a chain dangerous? Not if you are careful, not if you stay out of his reach. But otherwise, look out, brothers and sisters. And if you are like me, if you would never dream of taking a chance on a dog, we should be even more careful when it comes to playing around with sin and the devil. Because otherwise, we might end up with more than a scratch on our face. Or a scar on our nose. The Bible says the devil is bound. His power is limited. But still he is dangerous. So be very, very careful. Just one more point brothers and sisters. In Revelation 20 verse 3. We read that afterwards Satan must be set free for a short time. We wonder what that means. And we wonder whether that short time has already begun. Are the thousand years of Jesus' reign over so that Satan is now set free for a little while? Or is Satan still bound? And is there still a worse time, a more dangerous time coming in the future? Some Christians insist that the godlessness of the world has become so great that we must be living in those last days. But others insist that we are not being persecuted. Instead, we can still worship God freely And so there must be worse trouble ahead. I don't know the answer to these questions. We do not know what the time is on God's clock. But we are not afraid. We are not afraid because Jesus Christ has defeated the devil. And he has destroyed the power of sin and death. And, and if Satan is free today, then that is not because he is broken free. But it is only because King Jesus lets him go free for a little while. Free like a dog on a chain, remember? But Jesus Christ, he is Lord over all creation. He is seated at the right hand of God. And he is on our side, so that against us shall be none. That is our first point. In our second point, we will now consider the glorious promise that Jesus Christ uses all his authority for our benefit. We confess in answer of 51 that Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God defends and preserves us against all enemies. We have no difficulty accepting this confession. We live in a free land. We can worship the Lord in church on Sundays and in our homes during the week. We are free to teach our children, also free to speak to our neighbours of our Christian faith. King Jesus is defending and preserving us. But again, think back to the world of the apostles 2,000 years ago. In Rome, they said, Caesar is God. In Ephesus, they said, Diana is God. In every city, they had their own gods, and no one cared. Except, except when the Christians said that Jesus is God, then Satan was upset and then the world was offended. Christians were thrown to the lions. They were covered with tar and used as live torches for Nero's garden parties. It seemed as if Roman emperors and Roman gods were powerful. But Christians... Christians, Christians were weak and defenceless. That was happening in the time when Satan was bound. That was happening in the time after he had been thrown into the bottomless pit so that he could not deceive the nations anymore. The gospel was spreading. People were believing But they were still being killed like flies. Those Christians who lived during that time, could they confess that the Lord Jesus Christ was defending and preserving them against all their enemies? If he was defending and preserving them, then why? Why were those horrible things happening to them? to answer these questions the vision which john showed sorry the vision which jesus showed to john in revelation 20 continues in verse 4 satan has been thrown into the bottomless pit but then then john sees thrones in heaven and john sees the souls Of those people who have been beheaded because they believed in Jesus, John sees those people, they are seated on thrones. Think about this, brothers and sisters Christian men and women. One moment they live in this world, one moment many of them are slaves and they are being persecuted. They are defenseless, being killed like flies. One moment, they are being hung on the gallows, burned on the pyre, and the world is celebrating because they are getting rid of all those horrible Christians. Christians, you know, who will never go with the flow, but who always think that they know better. That's one moment. But a moment later, John sees those Christian men and Christian women and Christian children. John sees them in heaven. Now they are rulers and kings. They are sitting on thrones. They are reigning with Christ for a thousand years. And you ask, why a thousand years? Why will those Christians who suffered and died for the faith, why will they reign with Christ for a thousand years? Well, in the early chapters of Revelation, in the letter to the church at Smyrna, Jesus warned the Christians who were living in Smyrna, Jesus said they would suffer persecution. For how long? For ten days. Ten days of persecution, let's not underestimate it, because it would hurt, it would cause suffering, but ten days, and now their reward, says John, their reward in heaven will last for a thousand years, think of that. A thousand years of glory, sitting on thrones, reigning with Christ to make up for 10 days of persecution and suffering. And of course, these numbers, 10 days and a thousand years, of course, these numbers are not literal. Instead, the point is, our life in this world may be difficult and we might Really have to suffer for our faith. And that seems scary. Sometimes it seems as if it just goes on and on forever. And then we can easily be discouraged. And that's why John says to encourage us. John says, people like you and me. I see people like us. In heaven. Sitting on thrones. Reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Again. Again. Just ten days of suffering, and then a thousand years, an eternity of heavenly glory and perfect salvation. It is so important, beloved congregation, that we understand well why John is telling this to us. The devil is working out there. But he's working just as hard in here, in this church building. He works in our community. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to intimidate us, make us scared. And then, if we are scared, then our answer is not to protest. Our answer is not to wave banners or even to write letters to our parliamentarians. Because our government will never protect us from Satan. Instead, when we are afraid, we must open our Bibles. And we must read the stories of Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Samson and David and Solomon and Peter and Paul. And so many other men and women, children of God, who believed the gospel. And who were strengthened in their faith. Because they went down on their knees and they prayed. So let's us, let's pray for King Jesus to work in our hearts. Let's pray for him to strengthen us and so defend and preserve us against our enemies. And understand, believe that our lives in this world are so short. Blink. Blink. And it's over. Our life is done. And then afterwards, an eternity of peace and blessing and celebration and life. Brothers and sisters, there are many things in this world that are ungodly and that we cannot support. But please... Our battle is not a battle against abortion. It's not a battle against euthanasia. Our battle is not against liberals in Canberra. Instead, also in Canberra, King Jesus has got everything under control. Our enemy, our only enemy is fear and unbelief Satan he's smart he's a bully he's like a dog that barks really really loud to scare us if he can Satan wants us to be afraid and unbelieving so let's continue to trust in the Lord And by his power, he will will continue to defend us and preserve us against all our enemies. That is our second point. In our third point, we will now consider the even more glorious promise that the Lord Jesus Christ will be our judge. In answer 52, we confess that the Lord Jesus Christ will come down from heaven and will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory and his promise is also confirmed in the passage we read together from revelation 20 john mentions one resurrection The first resurrection of the martyrs which happened before the thousand years are ended. And then John also mentions a second death. A first resurrection. A second resurrection. A first death. And a second death. In John 17... In the Lord Jesus' high priestly prayer, the Lord said that to live is to know God. When we know God, then we live. So what does that mean? That means in the world, in this world, the only people who are really living are us Christians. We know God. And so we really live by faith in Jesus Christ. While the other people in this world, the people who exist without knowing God, they do not really live. And so, when we die, immediately we have the first resurrection. When we die, immediately our soul goes to heaven. That doesn't wait till the thousand years are done. No, immediately our soul goes to heaven. And for us, that will be the beginning of a new life. A life that's better than this life on earth. We will live with God in heaven. So this life, life on the day of our death. And then on the last day, when the Son of God comes down from heaven, then our bodies will rise from the grave. And that will be for us a second resurrection. Get the picture? For us Christians, life goes on an upward curve. In this world, we already live because we know God. We live under the blessing of God. And when we die, that will be the first resurrection. Our soul will go to heaven and we will reign with Christ. And on the last day when Christ returns, there will be a second resurrection. Then our bodies will be resurrected as well. That will be even better. That will be the best. For us Christians, life gets better and better all the time. But for those who live and die in unbelief, it goes downhill all the time. In this life, They are already dead in their sins and unbelief. And when they die, their soul goes to hell and suffers the wrath of God. That's their first death. But on the last day, when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead, they will die a second death. And from then on, they will suffer everlasting condemnation. Brothers and sisters, the challenges that we face in this life have got very little to do with what is happening in our parliaments. The challenges that we face are not really out there. Instead, our Heavenly Father comes to us, frail and sinful people. He comes to us with the gospel. He comes to us with a promise to be with us in this life and to bring us through the challenges of this life to eternal life. Let's believe his promises. Let's trust him. That is the way to eternal life and eternal joy and eternal blessing. Brothers and sisters, when we have this, we have everything, and we lack nothing. Amen.